Jesus, we thank you for your parables and teachings. Thank you for the metaphors that you gave us that were life-giving metaphors and hopeful metaphors. And we pray that you would help us to uh, not only understand but enter into the reality that you called us to in the Gospel of Luke. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We're taking a break in our uh, journey through Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation uh, for a very special occasion, and that is uh, that our our very own Bishop Stuart Ruck is here uh, to preach from us from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, uh, Bishop Stuart is our spiritual father, played a big role in helping Emmanuel get started, uh, and has a real heart for the city as one who uh, used to live here as as an artist in Ukrainian village and uh, maybe Logan Square as well. Um, and um, so he loves Chicago, and he's had a heart for Chicago for a long time, and uh, not only planted the seeds for Emmanuel Anglican, but continues to water those seeds with his prayers and his counsel uh, and spiritual fathering. Um, so glad to have the Ruck family here, Mama Catherine Ruck, uh, as a spiritual mother to many of us as well. And um, so... Bishop Stewart, come on up and let me pray for you and for all of us as we, as we enter in. Amen. Jesus, we pray that you would open your word to Emmanuel Anglican Church as we listen to our bishop uh, and uh, hear what has been put on his heart and mind for our church and for our diocese. We pray this in your name. Amen. Mm. Because I need to call you. All right, you all. I'm in a bit of a spiritual crisis. Um, as Father Aaron mentioned, it's Lent, which is a season where we're sobered. We, uh, our worship is a bit quieter, more reflective. And what he said is absolutely true. And yet my challenge is I'm so incredibly happy today to be here. I just shouldn't be this happy. There's just something wrong in being this full of joy. And the minute I say that, I know that Catherine, who always reminds me of this, would say, yes, but Sundays... Within our custom and practice of Lent, Sundays are feast days. So coming to Emmanuel, I'm having myself a big deep dish pizza and ice cream today with you guys. All right, that's, that, that's what this is like. Or maybe I should say Holy Communion. That might be more appropriate. Yeah. yeah. All right. I am so happy to be here. Oh, I love this place. It's been. It just builds my faith when I come and see what God has been doing over the last couple of years uh, here at Emmanuel. For me, it's very strengthening. So I'm always preaching and talking throughout our diocese, which is Chicago, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and wherever else we can plant churches. I'm always talking about how I believe so deeply in the power of the church because it has the resurrection power of Jesus. If you let church be church, she'll just grow. She'll she'll multiply. She'll just be who she was made to be, that she's a living reality. So I preach that all the time. But when I come somewhere like Emmanuel and I see what God is doing, then you're preaching it to me. So thank you for applying the gospel to my life already today. I am so thankful for your faithfulness to Jesus. I'm so thankful that you all have chosen to gather in Uptown to lift high the Son of God, that others might be drawn to Him. And we're in this together. We are deeply bound together in the Lord. So, praise the Lord. I'm extremely happy. All right, enough happiness. 
You guys may be thinking, oh man, Revelation, very intense series. Looking forward to a break. Well, I'm not sure we're going to get there on the break. Uh, we're going to study the Bible together. We're going to look at Luke chapter 13, but I don't think it's any break in Lenten intensity. There's a very important sentence in the Bible. It's in the Hebrew Scriptures, also known as the Old Testament. It's a stark sentence. It's a very important one. It says this. We're going to leave this world the same way we came in. Stripped down and vulnerable. The human beings were all born stripped down and vulnerable. Got a gorgeous baby right here. And when you hold a baby, you realize, oh my, how soft, how amazing, how vulnerable, how delicate, important to hold babies. Because it reminds you and gives you an incarnated experience of your state. Stripped down, vulnerable, pretty soft. And in the same way you came into this world, a sentence in the book of Ecclesiastes says, so you will leave, all of us. Human beings in some ways are in dizzying ways diverse and different. But in other ways, we're actually extremely the same. And especially in this way, we are all going to die. And when we die, we'll be stripped down and we'll be vulnerable. This is the kind of thing Christians think about. We think about stuff like birth and we think about stuff like death. And I recognize that some of you um, are very far along in thinking in Christian ways and studying our holy scriptures, I recognize that others of you may be very new to the Christian way. Maybe not very familiar with the teachings of Jesus or the scriptures. It's actually really helpful for both groups to be reminded that our Lord, our leader, our teacher, is one who calls us into these intense things. We think about birth and we think about death because he taught us to reflect on those things. Mm -hmm. And part of Lent is just getting very real about this stuff. And this text from Luke chapter 13, which is a Lenten text, helps us to get very real about this stuff. If you look in your bulletins there at the text, Jesus is being engaged in a Q&A. He was basically in his ministry in a succession one after another of Q&As, which would have been part of how the rabbinical school that he basically led, basically had a rabbinical school, it was like a mobile rabbinical school where he's teaching about the things of God, and there was a way in which you engage the teacher, and you ask the questions, the teacher expected to be asked questions, and Jesus expects that as well. And here, we see that he's being asked a really important question. It's in verse 23. If you've got your bulletin, we're going to focus our, our thinking on verses uh, 22 to 28, primarily, about six verses in there. And he's asked the question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? 
In other words, how many will be saved? And Jesus refuses to answer that question. He won't answer it. It would appear that our Lord, our teacher, is not that interested in how many. It would appear that he's very interested, though, in something else, which is how. How can you be saved? Already his followers, they're asking a question, and it's a no harm, no foul question. How many will be saved? But what Jesus wants to make clear is you're interested in the theoretical. You're interested in the philosophical. Not that the Lord is not interested in the philosophical or theological, but I'm more interested in something else. I'm interested in your individual soul. But while you're going speculative, I'm going specific. How will you be saved? How will you come to know the love of God the Father? How will you come to reside in the Jesus house? That's the question I want to answer. And our Lord, in a most clear way, then goes on to answer this question. Note that there is clarity. This is a stark teaching, which can be bracing. But it's also a gracious teaching because it's clear. Our Lord wants no one to be unclear about how to be saved. Is there anyone going, I don't know how that happens? Now, a lot of us practice fuzzy thinking around this, including myself. I find fuzzy thinking around how people get saved comforting. Because part of my work is I want, and I'm in relationship with some people who would not consider themselves saved. And I would like them to be saved. They know I like them to be saved. And we respectfully work this out together. And some kind of become Christians and some do not. But our Lord has no fuzzy thinking here. So let's, let, let's work on this. What our Lord is basically teaching is come home. How are you saved? By coming home. Home. That's the metaphor he's using. It isn't explicit. It's an implicit metaphor. Coming home. Come home, stripped down and vulnerable. Come home and don't wait too long. Those are two main points. Come home, stripped down and vulnerable. Come home and don't wait too long. Let's work on come home, stripped down and vulnerable. How, how, Lord, how will those who are saved be few? And he says to them, verse 24, which is, the heart, in many ways, of this teaching that Jesus gives. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Let's work on that sentence together. And let's work, actually, when we hear that, the first word we hear is narrow. I'm guessing. And maybe that's a presumption. When I study it, the first word I think of is narrow. And generally, narrow is pejorative within our English culture. That's the English language culture. We think of narrow as pejorative. I'd like to ask you to back up a little bit and actually let the sentence be the sentence, all right? So narrow, if we break down the sentence, is actually not the heart of the sentence, right? Because it's not, a, it's not the subject, it's not the verb, it's what? It's, it's an adjective. It's a descriptor. So let's pull narrow out. We're going to give narrow its place. I'm not, I'm not going to dodge narrow. I promise. But I'm also going to teach this as I think Jesus taught it, which is in his sentence construction. He, he said this sentence, by the way, just so we're really clear. He said this sentence. This came right from the lips of Jesus. So actually, one key word here is door. That's the object. Strive to enter the door. So we need to understand door. What does door tell us? Well, first of all, what Jesus is painting as a metaphor, as an image, he's always painting pictures to teach us. And he's painting a picture of a house. There's a house, and we see that he is the leader of the house. He's the master of the house. He, he's the householder. Jesus actually told the story about himself. He's the one he's referring to. And so the image is of a family home. That's what he's establishing. There's a family home, and Jesus 
is the leader of that home. There's a door to the family home, as it would be in any family home. And people come in and out of that door. It's actually kind of a relief. It's a Jesus house. To talk about salvation is talk about the Jesus house. This is why Jesus says to those who are knocking after the door is closed, he says, I do not know, verse 25, where you come from. I don't know your family. I, I don't know who you're associated with. Okay, so think Middle Eastern, everything's family network, profoundly intact family networks, incredibly extensive family networks, all right? Semitic Arabic culture, still very much that way. And so he's thinking where you come from. He's thinking, I don't know who you come from. I, 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 don't, I don't know your parents. I, I don't know your family of origin. I don't know where you come from because I'm, I'm looking for those who are part of the Jesus house. That, that's what he's looking for. So there's a way in which he says, you just have to be who you are in the Jesus house. Actually, if you had any experience of good in your house, and I recognize in a group this size, you've got some who had wonderful home experiences and others who had not so wonderful home experiences. But in a wonderful home experience, you can just be who you are. The fact of the matter is, you know, it can be 10 in the morning on a day off, and you've got bedhead, and you're still in your pajamas. My five-year-old understands. My five-year-old, his goal every day is, how long can I stay in my pajamas? <laughs> we'll say to my five-year-old, hey, you know, you plus should change into your clothes. And his answer is always, are we going anywhere? Because <laughs> we're not going anywhere. Why would you ever change? I mean, those things are comfortable. No bell, no zipper, nothing to mess with. They're pajamas. And that's actually how it works in the Jesus house. You can have bedhead in the Jesus house. You can wear your pajamas. He actually does not need you worked up. He does not care about your image in the Jesus house. He cares about one thing. We're going to get to that in just a moment. He cares about one thing, a beautiful thing, a thing that any human being, no matter what their background is, no matter where they've come from, no matter where their family of origin necessarily was, any human being, the one that he cares about can, 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 can live this thing, can engage this thing. Anybody can. But first of all, the master wants to have no mystery or lack of clarity. For he wants many to enter the door. He's not getting into numbers because he's getting into right now. Right now then and right now now. Here's how you enter it. That's what I want to be super clear about. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. He could have given a number. He really truly could have. Beautiful song called, called Home by Over the Rhine. Poetic. Let me just give you a, a piece of it. Just shy of breaking down, there's a bend in a road that I have found called home. Take a left at loneliness, there's a place to find forgiveness called home. Leave behind your Sunday best, you know we could care less. Our body's motion comes to rest when we are at last called home. That's, that's the beauty and the gift of salvation. Your body's motion comes to rest. You leave behind your Sunday best. You're home. But we get home through this door that is narrow. The door is narrow. And it's narrow for this reason. Because to enter the house of Jesus, you can't bring anything with you. You can't get in the door, the narrow door, unless you're stripped down and vulnerable. 
It's not narrow in an ideological way. It's narrow in a soul way. It's narrow in so far as Jesus is saying, if you want to come into the Jesus house, you can't bring your job with you. It'd be like trying to get in, but you, it, it, it's across the, the doorway. You can't get in. You can't even bring your family with you. You can't bring the security of your marriage with you. You can't bring your savings accounts and your trust funds with you. You can't get in this door. It's narrow for one reason and one reason only. is for the stripped down and vulnerable, which, by the way, anybody can be. Anybody can get stripped down and vulnerable that's willing. That's why it's narrow. That's actually a gift. Because the folks who get on the other side of the door that are in Jesus' house, they got in there because they were stripped down and vulnerable. When you had the Jesus' house, you look at each other going, Well, you're stripped down and vulnerable, and so am I. Whoa. This is a new way of living. Come on, how stripped down and vulnerable did you come this morning? Really? I mean, coming to church is coming to the Jesus' house. We strive, not in like a, a tormented, I gotta be good enough, I gotta be good enough, I'm striving to be good enough. That's not what Jesus is talking about. How do you strive to be good enough to be stripped down and vulnerable? I want you to hear that. You can't. No, you're striving because you're trying to bring things in that are your securities that may even be blessings, that might even be gifts from God, but they're not gonna get you through the narrow door. You gotta leave everything behind except yourself. Your stripped down, vulnerable, sinful, messed up self. That's why you strive, because we're not wired for that. We want salvation by what makes us secure and feels dressed up and good to go. This is why he's saying to the Israelites, because they're responding at this point, they say, whoa, 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 whoa. Now hang on. Verse 26. Um, you're a Jewish rabbi, we're Jews. We ate and drank in your presence, which is a huge deal. We had table fellowship, man. I mean, like, we, we, we were together in this. And you taught us in our streets. They're trying to say, look, I mean, like, we're bringing our Israelite identity with us through this door. Another place in chapter uh, 12, just before chapter 13, people understood because family, again, was so cohesive. They wanted, they wanted to bring their family identity. And you just said, oh, no, 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 no. Actually, what's going to happen? Mom's going to be against kids, kids going to be against dads, brothers and sisters going to be confused by this. He's like, I come in and I make it clear, the only way to follow me is to leave everything behind. I want you to honor your family. I want you to honor your mother and your father, but they're not going to get you through the door. So he was pushing up against a major culture idol, which was family. Another place, there's a story he tells in chapter 12 about a person who's amassed incredible savings. And they say, ah, oh, woof. I can eat, drink, and be merry because I've amassed my savings. My silos is an agrarian image. My farming image are good. And Jesus tells the story where God says, You fool, for tonight what is required of you is your soul. Your savings won't get you through the door either. Now let's be clear. Life securities can be a blessing. Right, so I'm, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty into family. I've, I've got six kids. I love my family. But they're not going to help me get saved. I love Catherine. But she's not coming with me through the narrow door. She has her own narrow door to go through. We often bash individualism and for many good reasons. But let me remind you there's a biblical individualism. Which isn't the kind of American autonomous individualism that we have. It's the biblical individualism that says 
Everyone has to answer for their own lives. It's important for us to remember as we push against American individualism, we need to also allow for biblical individualism. Everyone has to answer for their own lives. Everyone goes to the no door. Everyone has their own choice. I'm going to live in a Jesus house, stripped down and vulnerable or not. The issue is not to have life securities. You're supposed to. It's not wrong to have a savings account. It's wrong to think that's going to do it for you. Anyone, as I said, can strive to come in this way. I had a friend who was uh, in the 80s very involved in, in the New York City club scene. And uh, we were in our 20s, and uh, she would come back from these adventures in the city and, and tell me about them. And she said, about 2, 3 in the morning, uh, there'd be a group of about 50, 60, 70 people outside a certain club. And then the clubs kind of switched every weekend in terms of popularity, kind of knew where you're supposed to go. And there'd be 78 people standing outside this club. And there'd be a person who ran the club, or an emissary who ran the club, outside as well. And they would basically go through the crowd of 80 and go, you, you, you. A very few percentage were allowed in the club. You had to have a certain beauty, certain body type, certain clothes. Let's be really clear. The world is way more elite than the kingdom of God. The world has a narrow door, but that narrow door is a meritous door. It's an attractional door. It's a door that requires so many different things, and it's always changing as to who's in charge and who's in control at what time. Let me tell you, the world has an unjust door. If you're trying to get to the world's door, it's a life of torment and a life of anxiety and a life of never, ever, ever, ever being smart enough, good-looking enough, clever enough, hip enough, creative enough, but not Jesus' door. Jesus' door is a narrow door because you're stripped down and vulnerable, and anyone can come through that door. That's why he says, look, let's be really clear. Inside my house, the first are last, and the last are first. Inside my house, there's east and west and north and south. What's he saying? People from all over the globe are inside my house. You've got to prepare your heart for the dizzying diversity and the profound similarity. This is inside my house. You guys getting that? This is amazing. Are you getting clear on the lie the world is telling you? Are you getting clear on this from the Bible right now? I hope you are getting clear and going, I don't want the world's narrow door. Look, you're going through a narrow door one way or the other. Get in the Jesus house. I, I, I want this to be exposed. I want the devil to be exposed for what he's doing to our hearts and minds. Because you're carrying burdens that are not God's burdens for you to carry. You're building images that are not God's image for you to carry. You're exhausted because you're striving not to be stripped out and vulnerable. You're striving to be one of those persons outside that club at 2 a.m. in the morning that gets picked for metaphorically speaking. Because we're all trying to get into certain clubs. I mean, some of you have the club that doesn't have a club. Club. <laughs> right? Right. I mean, you're that amazing. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I just want you to hear it pastorally. It's so good in Jesus' house. It's so good. It's very exciting. You got folks from east, west, north, and south in there. You got folks, everyone else, they're last, they're actually first. That's exciting. Engaging. Challenging. 
Jesus went through the narrow door first. Jesus got stripped down and vulnerable first. The narrow door looks like that. That's what the narrow door looks like. And anyone that's willing to go in like Jesus did, stripped down as he was on the cross, vulnerable as he was on the cross, a man of sorrows as he was on the cross, despised and scorned as he was on the cross. See, he went first. He only asked us what he already did. And then by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, he gives us the power to get stripped down the wall. It's a cross-shaped door that anyone can walk through. Come as you are, stripped down and vulnerable. But Jesus is clear, and this is challenging. Don't wait too long. This is where we have fuzzy thinking. Isn't it? Uh, I don't know, like, how it's all going to end. And I mean, like, you know, like, people that don't, haven't received Christ yet and haven't become believers yet. I'm assuming some of you here, like, I don't know how much time you got. And it's all going to work out in the end. And it all gets figured out. That's not the teaching of the Bible. Now, it's not everything is absolutely and completely clear. But it's a lot of clarity. I see a lot of clarity about the fact that there will be judgment. That's a word that's used in the Bible. I don't think we should shirk from it if it's a Bible word. We need to understand it in the context. But we know that there will be a time when it's too late to get into Jesus' house. When is that? When we die. So this earthly life actually matters a great deal for a lot of reasons, including choosing Jesus and coming in his house. It's appointed once for a man or a woman to die and then the judgment the book of Hebrews chapter 9 the story that was in Luke 12 that I already told you where the person has all things saved and then it said to them you fool for tonight when you die your soul will be required of you now there's two judgments that will happen one is at the end of time and one is at the end of your life so let's be really clear at the end of time, in the Nicene Creed, which we're going to say this morning, we read about Jesus will judge the living and the dead. That's the end of time. Time is a, a, a created reality, created by God. Time will come to an end. There'll be eternal reality, new heaven, new earth, God restoring and renewing, and that will be the final judgment. That's the judgment at the end of time. Matthew chapter 25 talks about that. But it's also a judgment at the end of our lives. This is at the end of our lives where we answer as to whether or not we are stripped down and vulnerable and Jesus hungry and Jesus needy and walking through like this or not. Martin Luther, 16th century Christian thinker, said this, each of us has his own last day when he dies. Why? Why is this? Why does it have to work this way? Because we're being asked to come into relationship with Jesus in the Jesus house. An intentionality about our commitment to Jesus really, really matters. It was really important that when I knew that I wanted to marry Catherine, I didn't practice fuzzy thinking. Ah, I don't know, like, maybe it's all gonna work out at some point. I don't know, we'll just wake up and be married. Ah. No, I was super intentional. I wanna purchase a ring. I wanna get clear about I'm gonna ask her. I don't know if she's gonna say yes or not, she probably will. I'm gonna focus here. This is what I'm gonna ask her. I'm choosing a day. I'm gonna do it. 
I wanted to have a close relationship with Catherine and intentionality with the heart of that relationship. It's the same with Jesus. In the same way that he says, so you would be intentional about a close friendship, close roommate, close marriage. So you'd be intentional about relationship with me. So this is true for us. And this is true for those that we love with all of our hearts who have not yet come into the Jesus house. And I think it's okay that that's motivating. I really do. I think Jesus meant it to be motivating. But this is mature stuff. This is hard stuff that Jesus is teaching us. Is there someone that you need to invite through the narrow door? You've been fuzzy and you don't want to be too pushy. That's important. You don't want to manipulate. Never manipulate in the gospel. Ever. But I don't have to come here and preach to you all. Don't ever manipulate. I think you guys are like, we're never going to manipulate. No way. We're not going to be like those folks. That guy. So I said, I'm going to push you the other way. Don't wait too long. Make an invitation. You can invite someone into the Jesus house and they can say no. They've got that freedom. About a year and a half ago, I, I um, had a guy show up at Res where I pastored out meeting. And the guest center, he did what people love to do to me. He came up and said, remember me? <laughs> and I, I was fuzzy thinking. Ah, well, uh, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, oh, Lord, I'm lying and I'm a pastor. Um, and he's like, come on, man, Oak Park Theater Company. You were the tech director. Yeah. Keep going, I said. Well, it turns out that he was one of my students in Oak Park. Theater kid, tech kid. I was the tech director. He said, look, here's the deal. I remember that you love God. And I've decided that I need to get to know God, and I don't have a personal connection with God. And I thought, it makes sense I know somebody personally, and you're the only person I've ever known who's known God. I was raised in an religious home. So I Googled you. We were back in the park together in the early 90s. I Googled you. I'm living in Wheaton. And I found out you're living in Wheaton two minutes from me. I actually pastor in Wheaton. I live in West Chicago. So we started this friendship, started having meals together, coffee together. He got involved in the community at Res, became an usher. He doesn't, didn't believe in Jesus, but he did our lighting schema for certain things. Got involved, became part of our community together. And I realized after working on this text, you know what? I gotta get together with him because he didn't have forever. I'm fuzzy thinking on this one and I probably shouldn't be. So we had coffee a week and a half ago and I said, hey, I'll call him Rob, it's not his name. Rob, like, What's keeping you from coming into the Jesus house? He said, oh man, there's nothing specific. I'm this close. I said, hey, can we get from here to here by Easter? <laughs> I said, no, no, I'm not forcing it. I said that, but can, can we get from here to here? That's not far, man. He said, I'm not there yet. I said, okay, I respect that. Five days later, he's a friend of mine. He said, I'm there. I want, I want in. My friend didn't know about all my background with me. He was like, are you sure you want in? I mean, this is a huge deal. He's like, yeah, no, I really, I want in, man. I'm, 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 I'm already in the church community. I'm already part of it. Like, I want, he's like, are you sure? He's like, I'm here, man. I want in. I want to follow Jesus. I want to give up my life to him. I'm so glad I invited him. He didn't even come in with me. I said, so it didn't matter. Sometimes you got to invite. Because we don't have forever. Come into the Jesus house. Strip down the wall. 
coming to Jesus' house, don't wait too long. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.